Safe Lives, we're dedicated to ending domestic abuse, for everyone and for good. As part of a new project gathering the voices of men and boys, Susie spoke to Godfrey, a survivor of domestic abuse, about his experiences. Please note that some names have been removed to protect confidentiality. Firstly, thank you very much for agreeing to take part um, in the interview with me today. Uh, as you're aware, we uh, are in the process of gathering the voices of men and boys, um, looking around the issues of healthy relationships um, and domestic abuse. Uh, you very kindly agreed to take part in the interview today to share your experience as a survivor of domestic abuse, um, but also share your experiences of being a man within today's society and, and looking at the concepts of masculinity and, and healthy relationships. Uh, so would you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself please? Yeah, I uh, grew up in a nice rural village, had a great, great childhood. Um, went to, did quite well at school, went to college. I was doing, doing really well, I wanted to be a vet. Had a motorbike accident uh, and I had concussion syndrome so I couldn't continue my studies so I went to work. Uh, rose through um, factory environment, uh, got a, a decent job there, and that's where I met my uh, ex-wife. Uh, she also worked in the company, and sort of that's how, that's how we met. Um, we got together, got married after a couple of years. Uh, she had a daughter from first relationship. Um, we had eventually had three children together. Uh, the marriage lasted just over twenty years. Uh, and we separated about three and a half years ago. Okay. So how um, when you talk about uh, school and college and uh, growing up in a rural environment, you you kind of even your body language says that that was quite a good time. It was oh, I, I, settled, I, I, happy. I had a, I guess it was a pretty idyllic childhood. Um, okay. Just living in the country, out on my bike all the time. The just doing country things so other children in the village so we all just used to go I don't know I don't know how my mum coped I'd go off, and, off my bike straight after breakfast and obviously no mobile phones in those days mm. uh, and I'd come back just before it was dark okay or just after it was dark if I was late it's reappear uh, yeah and, okay. and, and I'd just had, just had, had, had a great time mm. yeah. so um did you have any brothers? Have you got any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got two brothers, two younger brothers. Two younger brothers. So you were the eldest of three boys. Yeah. Yeah, your poor mum. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, were your mum and dad together? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, still together. They're still together now. Bit decrepit, bit decrepit, but uh, they're still together. Okay, and then did they still? Did you live in the same place throughout yeah. your childhood? Yeah. Um, moved to the house when I was four, and they're still there. Okay. And then you talked about obviously going through um, school, going through college and obviously aspiring to do veterinary medicine, but an accident meant that that was unable to happen at the time. So how old were you when you uh, went into that working environment? Uh, I was 19. 19? Uh, yeah, 19, yes. I had the accident in my, between my first and second years of A-levels. Right. Um, uh, I started just doing a temporary job thinking, oh, well, I'll do something until... Uh, called post-concussion syndrome till mm. I wore off and then I go back to studying but uh, after changing jobs a couple of times within that um, when, you're, when you're 19 and you're earning 400 quid a week in the, in the 80s 
it's hard to give that up to go back to college. Definitely, uh, yeah. So I just stayed and um, and worked up through through the various jobs in the company. And that's where you said you met your ex-wife. Yeah. So can you tell me a bit about what it was like when you met? What was the relationship like at the beginning? Um, it was very, it was great. Um, she seemed very nice. Um, nothing seemed out, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. Um, and yeah, everything seemed seemed fine. So what kind of things would you do right at the beginning? Because I'm guessing you were both late. Uh, was your ex-wife the same age as she? Uh, she's four years older, so she's she was older. 29, I was 25. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we, um, yeah, we just go out, for, go out for drinks, like just general, just go out for going dates. And um, fairly soon we decided that uh, it would be great to, to move in together. So, so when you say fairly soon, how quickly did that happen? Ooh, about... Six to nine months, something like that. And you said she had a child from her previous relationship. Yes. Um, so it's always been a grey over. She's never actually told her daughter who her father who her father is. Mm. Um, she maintains it was a person she was living with um, when I first knew her. But her mum has told her her daughter, which is her, her mum's granddaughter, mm. that um, it was the person she was actually married to. So it's she's very she's been very secretive about that. Okay. Um, and yeah, that it's, it's been a big bone of contention between her and her daughter. Okay. Um, so you moved in together, like you, said, you felt quite quickly, six to nine months into the relationship. Yeah. Um, sounds like at the beginning it felt very healthy and quite stable. Looking back on it, there were there were there were odd things that just they, they were very minor, and once you're able to put them in context, they have more meaning. But at the time, you just okay, and and you just think, was that odd or not? No, no, it's fine, and then and then you just forget about it. But when when you with hindsight, so so great, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you look back on it, I think there were a few things that um, maybe. Sh- should have started ringing alarm bells, but I was. It was my first serious relationship, uh, and I was. Oh, well, that's, you know, it's one of those things. Everything's fine, mm-hmm. and and you just overlook so many things over the years. Can you give me a couple of examples, just so you can understand what um, can understand what kind of thing you mean? Well, just we were having a conversation, um, and and you were just discussing possible possible outcomes, uh, and then you think you're having a reasoned debate, and then it just turns into. Something sort of changes in their in the way their their behavior their behavior changes just changes instantly from a debate into um, demands and and you you sort of think oh you you back down to avoid an argument because um, you want you want things to carry on nicely mm. especially if you if you're sort of um, if you've got quite a, a calm overall personality mm. you try and avoid conflict so. Um, and that was probably set the scene for me being quite passive and submissive in the relationship early on because I don't like conflict. Mm. Um, and, and then once she got her own way, she seemed fine and everything would be back to normal. I thought, okay. And then you just think, carry on. And... So as in, and it, yeah, like you said, it's interesting in hindsight, is a, a very interesting reflective process that now looking back, you kind of give me the impression that that happened quite regularly, but because of your personality being more kind of passive, going, okay, I'll keep the peace. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And in the sense of the conflict, when you look back to that early stages, was the what was the anxiety of from what what was the potential conflict? consequence of the conflict what were you afraid would come from the conflict i don't know if i was afraid of anything other than i just wanted to keep things on the straight and narrow um because i've always been of, of the opinion that if you commit to someone then that's it it's it's for life mm. um and i said well yeah i want this to be for life so i just want just don't want any any rocks in the road mm. just want it to, to carry on um but it wasn't until later on in the relationship until we we'd had um, a child together that um, that was when it, I really felt trapped because of because of her behaviours then okay so you felt that it changed the, it, the pressure the pressure ramped up and the and the demands and the uh, uh, her behaviour was more extreme so it escalated sorry then rather than necessarily changed Yes, yeah, the, the stakes the stakes escalated. Okay. Um, and looking back on it now, the only way I can describe it is, I don't know if you've seen the film Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. When they go and they meet up, when Frodo meets up with Bilbo uh, and he's talking to him and he mentions the ring, there's, there's like a fraction of a second, you see him as a scary face, then he goes back to him. Yeah. And you, you thinking back on it now, it, that was what it was like perfectly normal happy outgoing person then all of a sudden something happened they didn't like that there'd be there'd be you could almost like see through the veneer okay and you'd see what they were really like underneath and then once they got their own weight everything was normal and and, um the the veneer settled and and um she presented as like as normal as and and normal as happy because she's got her own way so would you say that there were certain things that, because um, you can't even imply that it was in the sense of a control aspect of as long as she got her own way in whatever she wanted? Mm-hmm. Or was it about specific things that, that it was more apparent? It would, if she, de- if she decided something should happen or she wanted something, then she would manipulate the situation so that she would, she would, she would get it. Um, she was always, always wanted holidays and she always wanted at least two holidays booked uh, mm-hmm. and if we didn't have the money then that would be a cause of friction mm-hmm. um, uh, and generally the way out of it was me to go to take out another credit card so we could book another holiday and just just to try and keep the pace okay. because um, looking back on it now I think well why the hell didn't I just get out but Fairly early on, after we'd had, t- she said she there was a major argument, and I, I said something like, "This this just isn't worth it." She said, "That's fine, you go, but you never see me again. You never see because t- mm. um, I'll kill myself and I'll kill." T- um, and a friend of mine who was a really good friend in school who my ex really hated because she I think fundamentally she's really insecure mm. uh, and. She wouldn't, she didn't want me, as soon as I left the job that I was in, she didn't want me to get another job um, because she was so insecure. Um, she never, never, I never went, never went to the pub with brothers or friends mm. or anybody. Um, I had one drink out in 20 years. Some friends from work 
said, fancy a game of golf. And we went to a local golf club, had a round of golf, had a pint afterwards, and she screamed for hours um, and was in a vile mood for a week. Right. I had one pint in the golf mm. club with friends, and, and it's... Um, so we just, okay, no, never go out again. And, and that, was, that was the sort of thing. So but, again, easier not to. Oh, God, yeah, so much easier. Just keep the peace. Um, and the friend of mine that I mentioned, I met up with her about a year ago. Um, and we sort of reconciled and uh, mm-hmm. she's a nice friend and met up a couple of times since for, for meals and whatever. Uh, and she says she remembers me telling her on the phone 20 years ago that I felt that I was trapped because of what she said she'd do to mm-hmm. Okay. Because what, you, what you're obviously talking about is, is feeling very isolated mm. and some kind of the isolation from your friends, your social group, you know, your own identity really, independent from the relationship. Yeah. So and, then, and, and also my family. Okay. So can you well, tell me a little bit about how the impact on your family? She, she would... She would create issues where there weren't issues. Um, my brothers, they had families and when they... They'd take them up to see mum and dad. They'd, they'd go for Sunday lunch. Mm. Um, and she would start ranting that they went to Sunday lunch more than we did. I, mean, I, I don't know who was counting. Um, but because we lived opposite mum and dad, mm. she could see who was there. And, and so she would, she would scream at them that they were taking advantage of elderly parents and, and they, they shouldn't be doing it and inflicting all their children and, and just irrational nastiness right. um, and that so my brothers obviously thought they'd stay away they didn't they didn't want it and I can completely understand it mm. um, and mum told me that as soon as I left her um, my second brother said to her oh it's lovely to have them back Right, okay. Um, and, and then we, we've been really close mm. ever since, and um, so, yeah, it's, it's great, really good. So again, that sense of identity, the actual the you being you part that your brother recognised that they got you back, rather than the version of you that was necessarily held within that relationship. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so you obviously talk about, you talked about the threats as well, so the threats of suicide, the threats of stopping you seeing your son, actually threats of, of homicide towards your son. Mm. Um, how did you cope with that? How did you, because obviously the, the, even just the, the words that you've used and then from your body language, the fear associated with that, how did you manage that? It's the sort of threat that you can't really, you'd have to be a very strong person to call a bluff and say, okay, I'm going, do what, do what you want, mm. because you're talking about your child's life. Mm. So, I mean, I've looked into some of this after I've come out to try and rationalise it for myself, mm. uh, and I had to normalise it, uh, and I just accepted that it's pretty bad, but this is, this is it. Mm. This is a relationship. I can't get out because I'm not taking the risk of uh, doing something stupid. Mm. So I've just got to stay. And I think once you decide you've got to stay, it becomes easier. If you're constantly thinking, oh, I've got to get out, I've got to get out, but I can't. Mm. That's worse than thinking it's bad, but I'm staying. 
So almost that sense of acceptance yes. made it easier for you to be able to then go, I've accepted, I've just got to stay. Yeah. Okay. Which I think is, is a hard concept for people that aren't in that environment to understand. Yes. Whereas actually, it makes sense. That yeah. if I just accept this is where I am, it makes it easier for me to cope. Yeah. And uh, I just do the things that I can and, and ex- accept the things that I can't. Did you believe her? So when she would make those those threats of, you know, violence to your son, violence to herself, when you reflect back into that moment, did you believe her? I did because I knew how irrational she could be and how how much of a vendetta she could hold against other people for years and years. Um, and I mentioned this friend of mine from school. She sort of alienated her and. Um, she she got solicitor's letters sent to her and her parents and her work saying keep away from him so so that was uh, and I didn't have any contact with her for more 20 years still after I, mm. I left the relationship um, not a phone call not meeting on no contact whatsoever but all the way through our relationship if we have an argument she said oh I suppose you're going to go off and see your witch then and okay. for 20 years mm. she held that there was nothing has ever gone and she was just a platonic friend mm-hmm. but she cannot understand platonic relationships okay. she doesn't think they're possible so hence her insecurity hence her, if I go to the pub I'm obviously mm-hmm. going to meet someone um, and I can't just have a conversation with someone without it being more than just mm-hmm. a conversation of friendship or whatever um, so almost that, that that mindset being the justification for then the behaviour that she then presented with that men and women can't just be friends it can't be platonic yeah so therefore i will the irrational thought being i will then behave in this way Mm. yeah so definitely i definitely believed that because i can't i can't honestly sit here and say that i would have i wouldn't have stayed if i didn't believe her Mm. okay and what about so it's clear, again, the way where you talk about your tone of voice, the love for your son, it is, is massive. How do you think that influenced or impacted on doesn't speak about very much. I've had a few conversations with him. He's estranged from my ex-wife. Mm. Um, and he says his childhood was like walking on eggshells. He never knew what she was going to blow up about. Mm. Um, and something I didn't know, um, just an example, if he was asked to tidy his bedroom and he was finishing his, his game on his, and his Xbox, she'd come in, she'd start throwing things around, she, th- she threw his um, iPod against the wall, smashed it into mm-hmm. bits just because he hadn't tidied his room in the times girls and, and he said it just, he's, he's completely changed now, he's had no contact with her for mm-hmm. two and a half years, he's relaxed, he's calmer, he's, he's girlfriend says he's a he's completely different and mm. um, he's just such a such a relaxed mm. and, and, and different person he's, actu- he's actually my best man at my wedding a couple of weeks ago right okay and he, he was I, I had no idea what he was going to say and, and he just said I'm just so happy now because dad's found someone who allows him to be him right and that was pretty much his whole speech mm. and, and that's that's true mm. That's um, lovely. And because obviously, like, you've just reflected on how he's changed 
and his anxiety levels have come down and he's found himself more clearly he's done the same in the sense of looking at his father and seeing the same thing happen yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so when you talk obviously you talk about being young uh, but you were together for 20 years so how did it did the behavior change across the course of your relationship um, or did it remain quite consistent um, and, and how did your relationship come to end well it got it got to um, it got to a point where I, I was just I just sort of agreed to everything I'd, I'd avoid conflict I suppose I spent a lot of mental en energy second-guessing everything I did mm. is this going to be a problem if I if I went out to shopping or to get anything or oh, can I afford the time to pop into here because it would make sense to go to this other shop to get this so that I know we're going to need am I going to be late back is it, is it going to so it's you're constantly uh, and it's mentally draining it's exhausting thinking like that mm. um, and then I suppose I just I just sort of drifted for for quite a while um, and as I normalised it so you, you just carry on uh, and it's you feel like you can't say anything because, in my experience, my ex put on a very good face, public face. Mm. Um, we did foster caring, although I did pretty much all the, all the foster caring, all the meetings and all mm. the documentation and, and most of the most of the caring. But she was always seen as, oh, she, she's a saint, she, she works in school, she's a foster carer, she's got these kids. And, uh, and everybody thought she, how marvellous she was, but they just couldn't see. So the outside world would have seen, would have said a very different picture than necessarily what was happening yeah. within the actual dynamics of your relationship. Yeah. So that's another reason why, I, I suppose, male and female victims would say the same, that the, the perpetrators are very good at, portraying outwardly mm. uh, and hiding what, what is actually going on um, and latterly the uh, it, it was sort of it's a coercive control the, the, mm. the term for it um, latterly towards the end the, the abuse did get did get physical okay. um, and that was generally in the form of if we had a disagreement during the day that would fester within her and then she'd start again getting getting to bed and she'd start the, the argument again mm. and if I hadn't changed my position or she hadn't got the, the result that she wanted she would just lash out um, mm. and she generally hit me in the torso because okay. um, she was smart enough not to, to hit me where it, she, she, she misjudged it when she caught me in the, in the, in the mouth um, and the next day her oldest daughter said oh what's, what's happened to you mum been hitting you again Mm. Just as a joke, cause, yeah. cause obviously they weren't aware of anything. Uh, and, and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. now I, I walked into a door and, and I had to go and I locked myself in the bathroom because that's the closest I'd come to telling anyone what was going on. Yeah. And uh, that was that was hard. But so the physical violence actually started later in your relationship? Um, or had it always been there, but again, they'd, it escalated? There'd been sort of like pushing and... and Dismissing me as a, as a nothing, but the lashing out was in the last, I suppose, five to ten years. Okay. So it wasn't wasn't prevalent in the first, not as I remember, but latterly it was. 
Do you think there was anything that influenced that escalation? I don't know. I don't know whether she felt more more in control of the situation and she knew that whatever she did, I would just soak up and not, not do anything about it. So arguably maybe your resilience was higher, which meant that the behaviour escalated to seek some kind of reaction or...? Hmm. I think she, she was trying to get me to act. I think her her ultimate goal was for me to, to hit her. Mm. And then she could have played the victim. Um, and she could have got got me banned from seeing the kids or whatever. She, but she would have used that. And so almost from your experience when you felt like maybe seeking provocation for then whatever the next stages of her abusive behaviours will be mm. as such yeah okay yeah. I nearly cracked once okay tell me a little bit about that I don't I don't know what the cause of the argument was we were having, having an argument and then I got up to walk away and, and she said don't walk away from me she started to push me around and she pushed me against the fireplace in the house mm. and hanging against it it was a big inglet fireplace and hanging against it was a metal poker that I'd made and it was hanging on a thing that used to hang one of the old kettles used mm. to swing round over the fire uh, and I backed up against it and I put my hands out to stop me going against the wall and my hands touched the poker mm. and I thought I've only got to swing this once and it'll all be over Okay. and then I, th- then, and I just thought no I can't do it because I, 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 I was really weird because she was screaming in my face and it, was, it had sort of gone quiet Mm. And I was having this internal conversation with myself and I thought, because I'm rationalising this, I can't do it. Mm. I thought, had it been an instinctive, felt it, picked it up and swung it, mm. I could have justified that as being instinctive defence. But because I was thinking about it... Yeah, so it wasn't impulsive. And it, it was much it, more it, rational. Yeah, shall I, shall I do this? And th- mm. this, would, this would be the end. This would solve all my problems mm. because I thought about it. Mm. Then I knew. And, and then when I didn't do it I knew that I could never mm. do anything but it was it was close okay Didn't you, I think it's again it's that reflection process isn't it to in that moment that you kind of zoned out of the abuse to rationalize that thought of I really need to get out of this yeah. but this is not the way out of it yeah. I'm not this person yeah okay yeah so when you look at during that period, you talked about uh, your eldest daughter and, and that being the closest you'd come to saying something to somebody, what do you think it was that did stop you from seeking support or speaking out? What what influence or what barriers were there? The barrier was I didn't think I'd be believed because of her exterior persona. Okay. Um, and with working in school, foster care, uh, mm. I just thought everybody would think that I was, because she would protest her innocence and people would believe her. I just didn't think I would, I'd be believed. I thought I would alienate the children um, and I would lose. I was, I'm really, you should never do it. I was only there for the children and because, mm. because I thought, partly because she said she would do something drastic if I left, mm. partly because I thought I could sort of protect them from the worst of her behaviours. Okay. Um, so as not it would be directed at you rather than the risk of it then being directed at them yeah and and there were several times when she was ranting, she'd be ranting at the kids and I'd hear it and I'd go up and intervene mm-hmm. uh, I'd draw her away from it mm-hmm. um, 
Um, but yeah, if I wasn't believed, I'd lose all contact with my kids. So uh, and I'd be just, people think I'd make I'd made it all up. Uh, and I'd end up with nothing, no contact with children, no mm. friends thinking I was, if they didn't believe me about that, then they would, wouldn't believe me about anything. And then she, whatever she could say, they would believe. And mm. I'd end up being a social outcast. Even, what, even more isolated. Even more isolated, yeah. Okay. So the life that I had was better than the life that I perceived that she would construct for me. So I kind of summarise it as you were talking in my head is the risk wasn't worth the reward. No. Okay. So how did your relationship come to end? How, you know, taking that step, um, you know, because it takes a lot of courage, especially after such a long time of normalising, enduring and becoming kind of conditioned to that to that world. What was it that made you go, I'm done? Well, it's... Um, I decided that when our youngest had finished her GCSEs, then that was the point where she would be old enough to understand the reasons why I got out. Six months before that, my wife, ex-wife, started an affair with um, someone that um, they used to come into the pub that we that we ran. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the point where I realised that I hadn't made it to our youngest 16th, mm-hmm. but that was, that was a good enough time as any. Um, and it was a, a reason for me to, yeah, just sever all any loyalties that I that I ever had for whatever reason with her. So, in the sense of having endured twenty years of abusive behaviour that looked different at different times, yeah. some physical. It, it wasn't constant. There were there were times when when things were like settled and and mm. it, it was it was. Okay. Yeah. But uh, it was it was always there. Mm. Um, I've, I've never never relaxed because I knew it could blow up at any minute. No, mm. but it wasn't always. It wasn't a daily thing. Mm. I, I mean, obviously, I'm talking about the the bad times here. Yeah. But over over twenty years, it, it sort of you, you distill everything down to you remember the bad the bad mm. stuff more than the good stuff. I think. Mm. Um, so it wasn't constant, but it but it was always there. Yeah. So he, whether it was. In the shadows or yeah. at the forefront. And and that's very common when you know, in the sense that actually people talk about Jekyll and Hyde and two almost different personalities of the same person that they're involved with, um, of it's not all bad because mm. it wouldn't necessarily it'd be easier to feel that you could leave if it was all bad all the time. Mm. Whereas actually you see the cycle of hope that things will change and things will be different this time yes. and those kind of things. Um but so uh Considering obviously the the way in which uh, your ex wife chose to engage in a relationship with somebody else, do you feel that influenced your your kind of confidence in speaking out and confidence in being believed? Yes. Yeah. It, it, it gave me the hope because I could I people could see that she wasn't this this perfect perfect wife, mother, teacher, foster carer, mm. um, that, that she she had at least a flaw in, mm. in the having an affair within marriage. Mm. So it gave me hope that people would, would, would 
start to see the the, the cracks in her personality mm. um, and whatever um, they were told about me and I think well maybe that's that's not quite true because she's not a saint mm. and that's that's what gave me the the hope to think that I could I could make a break and it would be wrongly I thought it might be a clean break fairly quickly but fortunately it hasn't been but so what it ultimately did was open an avenue for people to be more objective maybe or you feel more confident that they would be objective yes yeah so obviously you within your the lived experience you've talked about there's an element of financial and economic abuse there's physical abuse there's emotional abuse there's psychological abuse um and and obviously ultimately you've exited that relationship um Hi, what would you say the impact of that relationship is on you now? Now you've found yourself again, how would you, what would you say the impact is? The biggest thing that I think is I can't dwell on it. Because if I dwell on it and I regret the time, I don't regret the kids, obviously, because I love them all dear. If I start regretting the time I spent with her, then I just spiral into a just a self-pitying shell and never do anything with my life because there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. All I've got to do now is look forward to to the future and realise that there is so much more to life now than I, than I've had. So I've just got to grab everything with both hands and just go off and and make the most of it and try and forget about it. And hopefully this week. Well, Friday today, Monday, we complete on selling the house, which has been on the market for so long, and then that will be the final time. Okay. Kids are all grown up and over eighteen, mm. um, and that will be the final niggle, mm. and I'll be able to completely forget about, mm. try and forget about um, that. No more communication with her about about the house or the set or anything. So you can have a, a clean break and move Absolutely, forward. yeah. Which is which I'd hoped I'd have two years ago, but how did you how did you cope when you were in the relationship? How did you cope with the unpredictability? I, as I said, I normalised it. It was yes, this is this is awful, and I'm sure other people's relationships aren't like this. I know some people mm-hmm. were obviously in the same. I know some people are in a lot worse relationships than that. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that, but. It wasn't what I would deem a normal, mm. normal relationship. But you normalise it. You think, well, this is this is mm. what I've got. Maybe I this is what I deserve. Um, mm. And you just cope. You you try and deflect the arguments. Um, what about you though? You coping as an individual, as a person. Was there anything that you were aware that you did or didn't do to try and just emotionally cope with the the challenging times? Well, most, most of the time I was either renovating the house or tra- transporting the kids mm. to foster meetings or football or whatever that I was, I was doing. Um, to more absorb yourself in your work or a project or a distraction or diversion? I did, but I also listened to an awful lot of audiobooks. Okay. And that was my escape. Mm. I, I just escaped into other people's worlds that way. Um, because it took my mind off okay. mine um, and 
Yeah, and I just trying that was that was my 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 escape, my my alternate reality mm. is vicariously enjoying life through other people's experiences, whether it's autobiographies or novels mm. or whatever. Um, yeah, that's, that's that worked for you. That worked for me. So now, uh, obviously, you said you left the relationship a few years ago. Monday is a significant day of that final kind of thread being cut. Touch wood. Touch wood. How um. How do you feel now? How do you feel in yourself now? What what differences do you see now being virtually free from that period of your life and that relationship? Well, I felt I felt free for the last couple of years, um, and I've finally been able to do my degree. That's something I've always wanted to do. Um, I was never never allowed to to do it properly. I, I started it. I supported her through her degree. Mm. Um, um, wrote a dissertation actually but that's another story um, uh, and because she, she'd done her degree she got a student loans and bursaries mm. or whatever she said well if you do one you can get student loan and bursaries and then we can have that for a holiday mm. so I signed up to do a degree in Hereford um, and I was sort of nominally sort of superficially supported to do it um, but her motive was to get the student loan mm. um, if I spent any time doing doing any work I'd get harangued for not doing jobs on the house or housework mm. or something else so it was it was really difficult and after two years I just couldn't mm. couldn't face finishing the degree in such a such a shoddy manner that I was mm. having to do it so I postponed it but I've just finished I graduated this week um, congratulations thank you um, for my degree and yesterday I had an interview for doing a masters um, so that's I'm now doing the things that I've always wanted to do amazing um, well, I'm working as a photographer um, and that's that's great, and it's a lot of this is the support of my now wife, my new partner, um, who is just. Would I? She's fabulous, but she she's normal. She just lets me be me. Mm. Yes, she moans me for being untidy and things and all the things that I know that I am, mm. but she's so encouraging and and supportive, and mm. and it's just it just seems it just feels right. So. When she when she she's a consultant and when she's got a heavy workload, I do all the housework and cooking and, and mm-hmm. cleaning and everything. And when I've got dissertation to finish, mm-hmm. she does it for me, and it, it's just balanced equal relationship. Yeah, yeah. it just okay. seems like I said about not looking back. Mm-hmm. If I look back too much, I'd I'd regret that I wasn't in that kind of relationship, mm-hmm. or I didn't see that my relationship with my ex was never going to be there mm-hmm. so I didn't pull, pull out mm-hmm. right at the beginning but I, I just I don't know whether I wasn't worldly enough or maybe I wanted to be in a relationship at that stage mm-hmm. too much and I overlooked all the, the little the warning signs that I can see very clearly now mm-hmm. but again that's back to hindsight isn't it it's really it's, it's lovely actually hearing you talk about the now because the sense I get is a sense of freedom and yeah. just potential uh, and opportunity. There, there's a real positivity about the future, which is, is lovely to hear. 
Um, so as I said at the beginning, the other thing that it would be nice to get your perspective on is about the concept of masculinity. Um, and uh, we talked a bit about stereotyping barriers and you talked about equality in your, in your current relationship and reflected of an inequality in, in your previous. What do you think the concept of masculinity is for you as a person? What do you think it means? That's a difficult question. Um, masculinity has a, a very different, so many different ways of, of looking at it. I know that um, as an example, when we shut down the pub that we had, um, and his girlfriend were living there until it sold. Mm. Um, at one point, my ex wanted some light shades that were in there, and I said I was going to, I'd get them down for her when I was there before it sold. Mm. But she didn't think that was good enough, so she she took her new partner around um, and said, "I don't want him coming in." Mm. So he he attacked. Right. Um, and they, they had a scuffle, the injuries around his neck. My ex-wife was there as well, and she and, and she was encouraging her partner. His partner tried to separate them, mm. and my ex stopped her doing it, and she wanted them to fight. Right. And when I when I spoke to her afterwards about what the hell was going on, she said, "Well, he's a real man." Right. And that's her. That was her perception of someone who fights and. Mm. Um, what about so, your perception? What's a real man look like for you? It's, it's difficult because I don't... I feel like I'm, the relationship that I was put in sort of emasculated me, to be honest. Mm. It, um, the traditional view of a real man is the one that is a breadwinner, is in charge, gets his tea on the table at half past five and, and, and that's a society and I'm really struggling with this. Mm -hmm. well, right. So in the sense then, so as in that you've kind of inferred that traditional concept of masculinity and being a real man is quite dominant. Mm. Um, what about today's society? Do you think that that is still reflected within the next generation coming through, or the way in which you've raised your son or your children? Or I think society is definitely changing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, a, a few a few examples. I know when David Beckham wore a sarong, mm -hmm. and he got half ridiculed by the by the press, thinking he's not a real man. But the other half thing. Well, yeah, he's doing what, doing what he wants. Mm. He's 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 confident enough in his own persona that he can, he can do that and not not feel worried about it. And I thought that was that was quite a thing that a lot of young people could see that you don't have to conform to the oh he's a footballer he's got to be macho drinking ten pints mm. a night and womanising or whatever. So is that what a real man is? Is somebody that's comfortable within their own skin to Absol be who they want to be? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and that's. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and I didn't feel that I could be who I wanted to be for a long time, mm. which is why I said I felt emasculated. Yeah, but and obviously we talked about your identity. Yeah, so actually that acceptance of being who we are, whether male or female, actually, I suppose that's what's maybe 
important. Yeah. And if if you can protect those weaker than yourself, and if you can do th- the right thing by other people, mm. whether you're male or female, that I think that's more important than trying to conform to a stereotype, a gender stereotype. Mm. It's just just be a good person. Okay. And, so my final question fits quite nicely into that in the sense of when we're looking at the next generation, is there any words of wisdom or reflection you would like to say to young people entering to their first relationships now or looking at healthy relationships? Uh, is there anything you'd like to, to share with them? I would say that if, if anything rings any alarm bells, no matter how small, talk to someone about it, whether it's close friends or family or agencies of them whatever agencies can can offer support um go to someone and just just speak about it before you get in too deep and you get past the point of no return you start and you have children and you feel like you can't leave then mm-hmm. just talk to someone get some advice get a second opinion it might be nothing but if it's something that is of concern to to either a friend a colleague a friend to someone you feel you can talk to just do it don't don't suffer in silence um, because you might not be going mad yourself. You might actually be thinking the right thing, mm. and you might be wasting an awful lot of your life if you if you don't do something. Lovely, thank you very much.